In a world where people actually watch the stuff their friends recommend. This is I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. Greetings, lookers. Welcome to another edition of I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. I'll be your host, Ben Mitchell, and you can find me on Twitter and most social media with the handle at RedHenMedia1. Look for that Red Hen icon. Today, we'll be discussing 10 Cloverfield Lane 2016, which is a sci-fi thriller feature film uh, that's currently streaming on Pluto TV. Um, and this is one of those movies where, by just stating the genre, I may be giving away too much. There's been an attack. An attack, a big one. I'm not sure yet if it's chemical or nuclear, but down here we're safe. And I'm here with my distinguished co-hosts who are likely already talking behind my back, so let's join their conversation already in progress. Hey, gang. Howdy, howdy. Hello. Hey, uh, everyone. She's simultaneously credible and incredible, the anomaly, Kat Ramirez. Hey y'all, just like I'm always real with my friends and family, I'll always keep it real with y'all too. As always, grateful to be here. Very grateful to have you. And the provocative one, and current Who Dundee Award winner and reigning champion, Mr. Devin Schwartz. The game is on. I believe you. And my good friend, the incendiary James Pepe. Hey everyone, it's me. And uh, I know that this was supposed to be like a spiritual sequel, you know, and all that stuff. But this is a lot different than the first Scott Pilgrim movie. <laughs> <laughs> and the irrepressible gentleman, Jim Scott. Greetings, fellow listeners and friends. You still haven't let run down yet. Oh, this is just something I'm taking a break with. Oh, all right, we'll get back to the rundown. Uh, right now. Okay, great. Hey, you know what? Do you have a rundown that I could take a look at just so I know what type of rundown you're looking for? Just keep it simple. Keeping it simple, that's what yeah. I'm doing. But I am working hard on this one. Real hard. You're so. working hard on this? No, not not too hard. Not harder than I should. Right. I mean, why work harder than you should? <laughs> no, I... Our boss, Charles Miner, just demanded a rundown. And... I got to get my sound uh, in order here. Jim from the office just handed the dossier to James Pepe. What have you got for us on uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane? Yeah, so this this movie, sort of like I alluded to earlier, is supposed to be sort of a spiritual sequel to Cloverfield or sort of a movie that, I don't know, takes place in like the same universe or something to Cloverfield. And so the sort of basic plot of it is um, girl, a girl gets in a car. Her name's uh, the character's name is Michelle, played by uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She gets in a car accident. She wakes up to find herself, um, presumably kidnapped in like a bomb shelter by John Goodman's character named Howard. Um, and the sort of and there's another character there, uh, another male character named Emmett 
played by John Gallagher Jr. Um, and the sort of upshot of the movie is uh, her character trying to figure out whether John Goodman is a crazy person and has just kidnapped her or if some disaster actually has taken place outside or maybe a possible combination of those two things. Maybe he's crazy and there's some sort of disaster going on outside or just kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and then for the most part, it's, I think you, Ben, you might correct me on this. I think what it's called is a ship in a bottle movie. It takes place mostly in this little bomb shelter that they're in. That is a phrase I haven't heard before, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I thought that's what you called movies that take place in like one location, a ship in a bottle. I'm that I maybe I'm wrong, but while I'll look that up to confirm it, it's one of those things where you learn, you never know everything and you learn a new thing every day. So this could almost be like a stage play. It has so few settings, you know, like you, you could perform this on a stage for the most part. If yeah. you want to do, it's kind of, a, it's one of those interesting insular movies. I'm kind of writing a ship in the bottle movie, so I should probably uh, familiarize myself with that phrase. I really, I really like those movies, like other, other movies that, or the movie that leaps to mind is Cube. I, that's like a ship in a bottle movie where you're basically like in one, I know that they move around in that movie, but you're basically in like one place for the whole movie. There's other ones like that also. Um, but I none of none other no other ones lead to mind. Yeah, I enjoy these type of movies too, especially when there's a lot of tension. Um, and another movie that comes to mind when we're talking about Chip in the Bottle is uh, Reservoir Dogs, which is a classic. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lest we forget the masterpiece that launched a, a career, a stellar career. Yeah, so I am genuinely curious if uh, this movie won any awards because I think that everyone turned in such a solid performance and it was such an interesting script and turned out very well, in my opinion. Yeah, so it looks like it won a slew of... I mean, I have no idea what how to like rate these awards, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't like nominated for an Academy Award or anything like that. But I rate won, them like, with a register a uh, sound drop. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like... Oh, these might be listed in alphabetical order, but at least at the very top, Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. That sounds that sounds prestigious, right? Um, it looks like it was the winner of the Saturn Award for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actor for Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodman. And um, also was nominated for Best Editing um, from Stephen Grube. Um, but yeah, it was also like the Blood and Guts UK Horror Awards. I think Blood and Guts, that's a magazine, right? Yeah, if I remember correctly. Um, it was uh, nominated for Best Actor, Best Screen, or one one Best Actor, Best Screenplay. Nominated for Best Actress. I wonder who beat her out for Best Actress. Um, but yeah, like I said, a whole, a whole slew of other sort of awards like that. Editing is always a weird award to win because when editing is done correctly you don't notice it typically and so it's like oh yeah well i guess i didn't notice so yeah <laughs> must have been pretty good <laughs> if i'm looking for it it's one thing but you know if i'm just watching the movie i'm not thinking about the editing typically all that much but i'll give it a couple registers i i was hoping that john goodman would have picked up like a golden globe or something but i guess not 
Ring It Up, it won some stuff. And uh, yeah, that first one, now I totally can't remember the name. That was a prestigious one, right? Yeah, the Academy, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Well, see, that has Academy in the name, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> someone, uh, someone there was wearing a monocle. It, it was mandated by their bylaws to make right. it fancy. <laughs> a, uh, a fun fact about this film I just spotted pulling up the IMDb page uh, that apparently Ben, her, uh, uh, what's her name, uh, Michelle's fiance that you only hear talking through his phone uh, was Bradley Cooper. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. wow. Not, yeah, they got Bradley Cooper just to be a voice in a phone. Not, not <laughs> as hot crazy. over the phone, man. Not as hot. <laughs> yeah. Or as a raccoon. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that was the launch of his uh, voice work in the sci-fi I, I industry. So. <laughs> yeah, he actually does a good yeah, job with, uh, with that raccoon. I, I mean, he does like an actual voice. It's not like, yeah, that's Bradley Cooper. Yeah, it's one of those he legit, I didn't realize when I first heard it. Yeah, exactly. He legit did a voice. So good for him. Yeah, he's a good, good actor. Um, so any other weird trivia or fun facts, or shall we move on? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think the I think the oddest thing about this movie was its connection to Cloverfield. Because I think if yeah. I remember correctly, this movie was gonna be or like this was sort of like a launching point or like the start of a lot of these there was a trend around this where like you would connect your ip to something already known and therefore get people to come see this that liked the first one even though they don't necessarily have any relation to one another yeah the idea of creating a cinematic universe was a big thing that was kind of like this is around the start of the marvel universe yeah like, the idea of creating a, a world in which movies could take place in yeah, and that's one of the questions I had, but uh, let's, let's figure out who uh, submitted this gem. Who done it? We've reached the segment where we guess and reveal who is responsible for this week's submission. Winner with the most correct guesses at the end of the series will win a Who Dundee Award. So, um, I'm going to kick this off, and I'm going to say that I hope that it was Jim who selected this one, because uh, I know he likes horror, and um, I'm looking for anyone to smile like they got me, <laughs> so I can change real quick. No? Okay. Wow, poker faces. You're going to do better than me. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go with Jim, because this is a horror movie, and uh, it seems like something he would be uh, interested in submitting and talking about. What about you, Kat? Um, I was, so I think I kind of have a little bit of an upper hand on this one in guessing who this may be. Um, this is a movie I talked to with this person about. So I feel like this is Devin uh, because it was definitely a movie suggestion he told me to watch because I hadn't watched it yet. So um, yeah, I do feel like I have kind of an inside loop on this, but um, yeah, so I'm going to guess I'm okay. Devin. So my, yeah, my second guess was Devin because, uh, well, uh, just because um, he, uh, hang on, I got a kid thing. <laughs> like screaming in the back. He's got someone trapped in his bomb shelter. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. Quiet. Knocked over a week's worth of food. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my son, he, he wants to be a part of the show. He's our first fan, actually. 
Um, yeah, so I thought Devin was either trying to throw me off or um, that it might be him as well, but uh, we'll see. Devin, who who actually did submit this, though? Because it's definitely not you. Uh, yeah, no, of course not. Um, but uh, no, I agree with you, Ben. I think you got it right on the money. I think it's Jim. This is a total, like, tense, you know, very horror. You know, While it's not fully a horror film, it's very horror-inspired and has that feel. I think this is Jim written all over it. Pepe, is it Jim? Is it me? Well, am I finally I think, coming into my own? I think, um, <laughs> I think Jim is would be the safe guess because he is the horror hound of, among us. Although I am too, but this I don't think is the flavor of horror that Jim likes. So that led me to think that it might be Ben, just because of the movie he submitted last week. I didn't expect him to choose that Dracula movie. Um, but I got a little bit of inside information from Kat about how, um, she might've been talking to Devin this one time and Devin might've said that he liked this movie and that she should watch it. So I think I'm going to guess Devin. <laughs> is this pre-show or is this during the show that he... Yeah, this was, this was moments ago. <laughs> okay. No, I... yeah, pre-show me and Devin talked about this. Oh, okay. oh perfect. <laughs> And Jim, uh, who done it? Um, so first of all, I am interested, Pepe, in what type of horror movies you think that I like, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, the obvious choice is Devin, which means I should scratch out the obvious choice. Um, honestly, and I could be wrong because this could all be like true, but I think it's you, Kat. Um a, a strong, resourceful, uh, out-of-the-box thinker as a protagonist. That strikes me as as a cat type of movie. So I'm going to go on out on a limb here. It this might one, be a very lonely limb, I, I, I don't think, think it's you, cat. It's not so lonely. I... One I went around and around on this one, and I thought there was a good chance it was Cat as well. I'll just put that on the record. Clearly, it wasn't Pepe because you don't get two. But I actually, if it's, if I it's couldn't. Cat, it was a hard man, one. Whoever this is going to be shoot. some like five D chess here with Cat, <laughs> right? She's more devious than you guys know. She is. It's either it's either Cat or Devin. One of the two. Um, this was a tough one. I'm going to go with you, Cat. Cool. So we're all over the board here. Uh, so that that kind of proves it was a tough one. So and and so in that case, let's find out who done it. Will the perpetrator please stand up and be counted? It was I. Congratulations, Cat and Pepe. Ah, the one time <laughs> I job. don't guess Devin, Good it job. was Devin. I love <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> That's perfect. Yep. <laughs> I'm gonna guess you every other time. I wanted now. to go last. I wanted to go last because I didn't want to give you guys the inside scoop on this. No, always do. Always give us the scoop. All scoops need to be Two given. Two scoops. Yeah, keep it yeah. real with us, Kat. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I won't hold it against you, Kat, because you convinced Pepe to vote for me, but you also convinced Jim to vote for you. So, you know, oh, equal, yeah. yeah. All right, so here's I'm the one, I'm trying to win this. I'm trying to win this over Devin. There you go. Go get for it. it. Get, go get I'm it. I'm going to start saying shit like that all the time now. You know, this so-and-so was talking to me about how they chose this movie. Yeah, at that point on, I was rooting for it to be cat big time. 
Uh, yeah, check, okay, seriously. check this out, guys. This is new. All right, Devin, why did you choose uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane? Oh, man, I I can't. So many reasons. I yeah. This is probably my favorite. This may be my favorite movie of all time. It, it, it's certainly my favorite thriller, like hands down. Um, I think that it's one of my favorite, mo- like, you know, modern films, I guess. Uh, I I love the idea of an asynchronous series. That's very much what the Cloverfield kind of verse is. They call it the Cloververse. Um, these three films, for people who don't know, Cloverfield, which was a found footage, uh, one of like a kind of a pioneer of the found footage style, at least in the modern era, you know, Blair Witch and everything, obviously pioneered it earlier, but very much a modern example of, of the found footage film. Um, not my favorite in the series, personally, just because found footage makes me kind of queasy. Yeah. Um, then there was... Yeah, but um, with the found footage thing, it was kind of the first one that went like big with it, like big budget yeah. found footage. Did did like a huge sci-fi thing, but then like condensed it down to being this this found footage right. thing. It was a very interesting mix of styles. That was two thousand eight. Then eight years later, you have Ten Cloverfield Lane, the film we just watched, um, and then only two years later, you had the Cloverfield Paradox, which was a very much bombastic sci-fi thriller. Takes place on a spaceship, had a huge star-studded cast, like totally different film. Um, that one also had a particularly interesting release, if any of you remember. The first trailer, which also announced the existence of the film, aired during the Super Bowl. The end of that commercial said that it was now on Netflix. It was in it was like mind-blowing. It was one of the, like the earlier Netflix movies, and it was literally they're like, here's this new movie you've never heard of. Here's the trailer, and also, hey, you can go watch it right now for free, basically. Um, which was like a huge viral marketing move. They, it got like the biggest views of any movie on Netflix for like the next week, even though they gave it literally zero PR, like none at all, except for one Super Bowl ad. How did I miss Wild. that? Like, I, yeah, just, I totally didn't even see moment. it. It's because it was bad. It was a bad movie. Oh, was it? I mean, okay. I, I, I enjoyed it. it. I like campy sci-fi, but yeah, the idea though, also all three of these movies were directed by different people written by different people, produced by different studios, the only tie they have in common is that J.J. Abrams produced all three. That's that's the only person that is in common between so, these three films. if you're a writer and you have a unique twist that would fit in the Cloververse, you might be able to play in that sandbox if you yep. have a unique pitch that kind of pioneers a new angle and has a bit of a surprise element to it. Yeah, and there's an upcoming untitled uh, Cloververse film written by Joe Barton. I don't know if anybody knows that guy. Uh, I just noticed that on the Wikipedia page. But yeah, like th- so that just base idea of this like asynchronous series, um, the fact that it is such a like case study in building tension, although I have to apologize that I did not realize Pluto TV has goddamn ads on it oh, when man. I suggested it. They were placed perfectly to s- just destroy the tension. It is like <laughs> with the deftest hand, someone placed these yeah, ads it to destroyed. just ruin the tension. Yeah, it destroyed one of my sound clips. <laughs> that's yeah, for sure. Uh, like cut so to a commercial annoying. in the middle of the thing. Yeah, like they never cut a sentence in half, but they cut like every moment of like tension in the film in half. It was ridiculous. They don't, uh, they don't give you a countdown either. Yeah, that was terrible. So it was the same ad for me, at least. It was the same ad every single ad break. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, it's uh, just like John Goodman's just getting real intense. And then it's just like <laughs> fucking Olive Garden pouring salad dressing. <laughs> oh my God. I'm, and is anyone else getting Olive Garden? Yeah, Olive Garden. No, I got, well, that's weird. I got a, an AIDS medication, like a uh, AIDS prevention. Well, I mean, it knows its audience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. 
Um, but uh, anyway, uh, aside from that, that aside, the tension is incredible in this film, the way that it, it shifts back and forth. I, I mean, I'm going to spew my entire discussion right now. I guess I should reel, reel it back a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I just I love this movie. It is the perfect thriller, the perfect yeah. uh, tension. Builder. I, I generally have a positive feeling about the Clover verse, which I did not know that that's what it was called until tonight, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Um, but this film, uh, leaves them all behind, uh, in, uh, in so far as its quality and, uh, yeah, it's way up there. It was a huge surprise at how good it was. And I think I was, it was one of those ones I immediately was like, honey, you got to see this. And, uh, so I watched it twice, but, uh, yeah, yeah, since we're, uh, since we're talking about the sound clip that got messed up, I'll start with that one. It's really only just at the (laughs) end, it cut to an Olive Garden commercial. Uh, so we never get to find out uh, what the answer is, as you'll see. Um, I know what you're up to. Look, Howard, uh, I, I don't know what, what you're getting at. I but, see you when you're uh, sleeping. I know what you're doing, and I'm always watching. I don't know. Always watching. I'm always watching. Santa Claw. I don't. I who knows what she was gonna say. No, I mean she's wrong because the right answer was when you're here, your family. Yeah, yeah that's great. Okay, <laughs> you were going there. <laughs> Santa Claw, when you're here, your family. Best sauce I ever ate, or whatever. <laughs> All of. I'm that. always watching. Em- endless breadsticks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and also uh, I found out that uh, inadvertently I found out that Pluto, I th- I'm going to just say it probably is owned by, um, it's owned by CBS because when I clicked on the little informational thing like, do you want to know more? I clicked on it, it went to like a CBS uh, legal page or whatever. So they must have either founded Pluto for some reason, uh, which doesn't seem right because it would be kind of like, in competition with its own streaming thing, or they like bought it up as part of the streaming wars or something. CBS must want to associate itself with the God of the underworld. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of that clip though, that I like, I love that moment in the film too. Like it's, there's so many things happening in that moment because first you get the part where, uh, uh, God, I'm putting myself totally blanking on their names. Howard cannot recognize that Michelle is a woman, cannot recognize her as an adult, which is like yes. an early hint towards the idea of him like having this this girl that he like kind of groomed into his child, which is a really weird thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then you have obviously the building tension of him describing Santa Claus, but like in the creepiest way possible, and uh, it like totally freaking out um, uh, uh, Emmett. And uh, yeah, and then just the weird ass way that he describes Santa Claus by focusing in on the like the most paranoid conspiracy theorist way of thinking about Santa Claus as this omnipotent creature who's watching you and not saying like, I deliver presents or, you know, I'm, I come at Christmas time, like anything that has to do with, you know, the way a child would view Santa Claus. Um, yeah. For you guys, this was a big one for me, too. Uh, and I'll play that clip, too. I had to get them both because they were both so good. This was the moment, and I remember when I first saw this one. Um, actually, I want to know if everyone else had seen it before. But um, at, at that moment, I was like, this has just surpassed my expectations in a big way when uh, they did that scene. It was just so elegant, the, the way they did the exposition there. Let me give you that line, and then I'll, uh, I'll ask you guys uh, to answer if you've seen it before. 
but here's here's the moment it was just like wow john goodman and why the heck didn't he win more awards for this role second word Ooh, uh michelle is a girl a girl a child um uh <clears throat> Oh, uh, she's a girl. Um, no, she's she's older. See, so she is a little princess. Oh dear God! Little <laughs> princess. Oh man, I'm not locked yeah, in here with I, you. You're locked in here with me. Yeah, he does an amazing job in this movie. Like it's a knockout performance. I mean, I I don't feel like I've seen a ton of John Goodman's work, but I think I think this is hands down the best at least that I've ever seen. I'd probably be with you on that at least top couple of uh, best roles. He He's a good actor. He immerses himself in roles and has a surprising amount of versatility for for a, a yeah. big stocky fellow like that that you'd probably think would, in most cases, end up just being typecast, you know? Yeah, as like, you know, a Flintstone or something. Not yeah. that they would ever do that. So let's go around. Kat, have you, had you seen this one before? No, no. So this was actually the first time I, I watched it. Um, and I didn't see Cloverfield. So I don't know. I don't know the you sequel. Like, I don't know any of the series. This is the only. You know, and that's what it felt like. It felt like this movie was a standalone. So um, I definitely thought it was. Uh, it kept me very much entertained and on my toes. And I was just going to say John Goodman has that ability to do what Jake Gyllenhaal also does where he as an actor can make you feel very warm and very welcomed and but also in an instance like be very creepy and very yeah. cold and um his ability to switch between those two like so quickly is always you know has always impressed me uh, uh, so Gyllenhaal and Goodman so. are both psychopaths yeah. we've established that <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> and they get tab casted as that for sure in a lot of movies yeah. So Devin, real quick, did you see this in theaters? Um, I'm I'm trying to remember. It was a while ago. I don't think I did. I'm pretty sure it was something I caught on a streaming service later. Yeah, six probably years on a already. more accessible streaming service. Yeah, probably on something more like it was probably on Hulu at some point or something more accessible before everything split That's... apart. You know, the great sundering of the the uh, streaming services, but um. Yeah, I don't think I actually saw it in theaters, but I as soon as I watched it, I was I was in love. I think I watched it like two more times. But like it was one of those movies I just wanted to show to everybody. Yep. So I'd like have a friend come over and be like, you have to watch this with me. And so I wound up rewatching it a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. Great choice, I think, too, for that reason. Same way. I think I saw it on a streaming service as well. Pepe, had you seen this? I'm guessing you had. Yeah, I had. Um, I think I saw it on a streaming service also. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think I saw it on Netflix. I think it was many moons ago on Netflix. And I think I saw it on Netflix. Red envelope Netflix, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I streamed it. I don't it think it was well, you know, years there, was, it was a day. there was, there was a time in my life where I would torrent a lot of movies. So maybe I saw it on that. Rut row. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What about the statute of limitations? Did you look that up before making that statement? No, no. Bull move gotten. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim, had you seen this one before? Yeah, uh I had I had I can't remember if I had seen it at the movie theater. I want to say that I did cuz horror or any horror 
tangential, especially Cloverfield, because I really enjoyed the first one in found footage and a monster movie, you know, evoking some of the Godzilla type themes, you know, uh, in yeah. one box. Um, but yeah, I had seen it once before and I really enjoyed it, but never returned back. And I think both of you guys are, are, are right, uh, Pepe and Devin, because I, for some reason, I remember 10 Cloverfield kind of making the rounds of streaming services. I think I seen it on Netflix and I seen it on um, Hulu. And I think even it might've been once upon a time free on prime, although I could be wrong on that. But no, when when uh, the title was announced last week, I was like, "Yes, I get a chance to watch it again." Um, yeah, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this movie through and through. In fact, I watched it twice this go round. Oh, really? Yeah, just because you Absolutely. enjoyed it, and there were some things I ca caught the second time that I didn't notice the the first time on the go around. So in total, I've watched it three times. Nice. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those ones if I was flipping channels and I saw Goodman being a creep or whatever that I would like just kind of hang in there. Almost like I feel like with Shawshank Redemption, I don't know if you guys are, are like that with that one or you probably have your own version of that. If you see it on, you can just like jump on at any point and uh, finish the ride. But I feel like this one might be one of those. Ben, did you say if you've seen it before? Uh, I did say, yeah, I've, I saw it on uh, probably on Netflix or something. And it, it really, it was one of those ones where the whole, every little surprise and twist got me on this one. So it was just really satisfying. Yeah. And it really has those, I feel like satisfying twists. It's not, um, one, you know, one of the campier Shyamalan twists where it's like, you know, you would never see it coming and it feels very out of left field. It, it, all of the, the twists are built up it so perfectly. And, and I feel like they hit in a really satisfying well, I, I feel like the twists really play on, you know, the human emotions, the, the, the emotions that we see evidenced um, in the movie, and then also our own em emotions as, you know, uh, the viewers as well. And it's just, uh, it plays out so well. Yeah, wasn't that fun? Uh, I'm just thinking back now when I initially watched it to just kind of go back and forth on do we want to do we want to get out of here you know that was the first time i think a movie has done that with this kind of film where you're not sure if you want to leave the place it's, maybe there's another one i don't know a shining kind of comes to mind but no they're just kind of trapped there and want to get out they just can't because of the snow but uh yeah this is the one the only one that pops into my head where you're you're going through that with the character back and forth like okay definitely want to leave oh well maybe not uh, actually Titanic here's, maybe here's the clip that turned <laughs> it <laughs> well done uh, here is the clip uh, give me a second I want to go with the right one here oh there it is okay got it open the door So at that point, I'd probably be considering staying too. 
yeah yeah it, mm-hmm. it's a very distinctly again kind of like a stage play it has very distinct acts where you have this first act where she is very much a prisoner she's been kidnapped by a madman and like none of it's real and then you have the very distinct end where she tries to escape realizes oh my god there's something going on outside um and absolutely wants to stay you have this transition to sort of like a weird happy home briefly where they're like kind of cool with being in the bunker and then you have sort of the decline of of uh, uh her trust in him and then realizing that his daughter was not actually his daughter and then it shifts back to oh god he is crazy but there's also something outside and then it ratchets the tension even more because we're either stuck in here with this crazy man who's probably going to kill us or we go outside and potentially just die from nuclear fallout um yeah and then the final act where she escapes yeah, they had that uh, distinct part that was kind of the honeymoon phase even after this, mm-hmm. and that happened right at the midpoint of the film, which, as a structure guy, um, is typically when there's, like, the first sign of real success in the story. Like, the thing happens. Peter Pan flies or whatever, if we're talking about Hook. Now, that's for Steven, if he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, I was able to, as it happened, I was able to be like, that's the end of Act 1. And, you know, not all movies are that um, easy to track those moments, but this one was, but not in a not in a bad way. Not in a way where I was like, yeah. oh, I see the uh, bones of this too much. Uh, so, any dislikes? Are we just uh, all in love with this one? Um, anything that stands out that didn't work for you? Um... So the the ending, yeah. I don't want to say that it didn't work for me, but the, you know, if we're talking about like a stage production, you, you, you know, you could see the de- kind of the departure, the seeming um, departure from the rest of the movie, where it really goes into the science fiction. It switches um, genres. Sure. Yeah, and and in that way it ties itself into the clover the cloververse right. um as the phrase has been coined but you know one of the things i feel about the cloververse is it's always about the human drama set amidst the backdrop of you know these very terrible science fictiony things going on so yeah i actually agree jim as much as i love this movie i do i, I found myself recently especially with the films we've been watching thinking about endings of movies a lot and why I don't really know why I often am disappointed by the ends of, of movies, but this one in particular felt a little disappointing. I very much feel like it could have stuck in the single setting. Um, and like, it just, yeah, it, it really feels like it's, it's just a different film. Like you've just accidentally slipped into a, a different film um, right at the end. It's still cool. I mean, the design of the, the ship and the like dog creature are really like cool looking and like it all works. It just doesn't work for this film. Yeah. Yeah. They... It's a very JJ uh, Abramish, even though he's only the producer, you know, like he had, he, his hand kind of came down and said, let's take this, action to the 10th degree right um i also feel kind of similarly uh, towards the show lovecraft country which he also produced and there's definitely some abrams hands in that as well but that's- yeah he does seem to be a very hands-on producer because all everything he produces he doesn't he rarely directs or writes he almost exclusively produces and yet everything he produces has a very distinct 
Abrams feel, which it gives the impression that he is very hands-on and, and has a lot of maybe demands of the people he works with. Yeah, I was going to say uh, real oh, quick. Sorry, go ahead, Ben. No, you go ahead. Well, I was I may be the the only dissenting voice here. I, I'm kind of lukewarm on this movie. Um, I think um, I, I it felt a little too long to me. Even I think it's only like 90 minutes or something, but it still felt a little too long for me. Um, I would also echo the sort of problems that people had with the ending. Um, there were some other things that I didn't really like about it too. Um, like for, for like for example, like when she um, towards the end of the movie where Michelle like kicks over that barrel of acid and then John Goodman just like falls over for no reason. That's I don't know. Oh, I've got. There that were a lot here. of things towards the end of the movie that bothered me. Um, but also just like it felt a little long to me. If this movie had been like an hour or something, I think it would have been. Super yeah, I think great. here two things, and then I'll play that clip. Uh, basically, uh, with the end, um, I think it may have been more effective if they just had the Cloverfield reveal be very quick, like one nice shot reveal of the thing flying over or whatever. We don't. I don't know if they needed the action set piece at the end. Um, and because they did put the action set piece, I think, and it's, I really like this film, but I, if I was going to go for a weak point, it would be that, um, it was just kind of unnecessary. And because of that genre switch, I don't know of a film that really does that successfully ever. I know several that have tried, um, there's at least the one big one that has done it oh, effectively. I, yeah. It's not an American movie though. Okay, well, uh, send that to me, or maybe submit it at some point. Maybe don't tell me, because um, okay. that's it. I'd like to see a movie that does that successfully. This one came pretty close. I think if they had just done the uh, one shot at the end, that would have been cool. But here's that acid part you're talking about, where he just fell over. After I saved you and kept you safe, this is how you repay me. No. This is... Well, I liked the like acid talk after he was like mangled by the acid, and I thought that was really creepy. Um, yeah, I think it might have been stronger if they had made her escape a little longer and then the action set piece at the end shorter. But uh, go ahead, Jim. You had something to say. Oh, um, all I was gonna say was so that was uh, my authentic, you know, reaction to the ending, um, and I tried to, you know, piece it together. That's why I watched it the second time as well. And this is the only movie that I kind of went, you know, of the movies that we've uh, reviewed so far that I kind of went outside uh, of myself and sought reviews. And there was one reviewer that took the what the director had said in interviews towards what the ending meant. But I, I kind of want to save that because I feel like our discussion should definitely be, you know, as authentic as we we can be, you know, what we feel, yeah. what we think, that type of thing. We could definitely be informed by all kinds of things. We bring our own experiences to the table. And I'm not saying that looking at reviews are a bad thing. Um, but yeah, but I wanted to kind of save that towards the end, if that's okay. Um, yeah, that's fine. Reviewer Put had that said. in your pocket. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. sometimes I, I, most of the time I actually do look up reviews. I'll leave that up to you guys. I didn't on this one. Um, maybe more as an experiment just to see kind of how, how, 
that felt or whatever while we're kind of making this show up as we go along. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think one of the, this is a little, this might be a little more, this might be a little deeper than the sort of things we've been talking about, but did you guys think or get the impression that this movie had a sort of like political voice to it at all? Uh, okay. Cat's nodding. Yes. So what did you pick up on there, Cat? Yeah, I couldn't help but think about John Goodman's character specifically, and I'm not sure that this is exactly what you're thinking about, but um, it just felt like this was someone who could very much realistically live somewhere in like the Midwest, maybe South, genuinely believed in like conspiracy theories and given at the end, it's revealed that this stuff is, is actually going on. But the fact that he prepared so much in advance and... Um, a lot of just different things about his personality really felt like someone um, kind of like a, not a criticism, but maybe a look into a certain type of American in America. And that's what I felt at yep. least that was kind of political in that sense that it kind of felt a little bit that it was also maybe criticizing these kind of creepy white dudes Absolutely. in America too. Um so in that sense, it did it did feel political, um, but I don't know if that was intentional. That's what I picked up on. And, uh, and, and also, I'll say this, uh, just because uh, a conspiracy theorist, a bro uh, broken clock is right twice, uh, two times a day, right? Just because you're right <laughs> doesn't mean you're not an asshole. I, I actually wrote this. Stop me if you've heard this one. A lib, a dumb, lovable redneck, and a QAnon conspiracy theorist walk into a bunker. <laughs> <laughs> so i think you're dead on is that what you picked up on pepe yeah yeah i mean i i agree that i don't think that this was intentional um but i think that that is definitely there but i think un unlike you might have thought is that i think the largest problem with it is that he is ultimately justified by the ending of the movie and i think that's the i think that's sort of maybe be one of the sort of like meta problems with this movie i don't know that he was that i think they were wow okay first of all you don't think it was intentional i i felt that it was fully intentional but what what led you to think that it wasn't intentional well i just mean i don't think it was intentional that it had a sort of like political aspect to it i i agree that john goodman was supposed to be playing a type of person that we would normally associate with especially nowadays with like a right-wing conservative um, but I don't think that there's, I don't think that anyone in this movie ever went, ever like thought to themselves, oh, we're going to be making a political statement with this movie. I don't think that ever happened. I think they wrote it subvertly maybe as a comment or something, uh, or at least as like a character study of that type of person. Well, I mean, yeah. I think if that, if that was, sorry to interrupt you. I think if that's the case, I dislike this movie much, much more because, um, I mean, John Goodman is a caricature. He, well, first of all, he's either, a, well, I guess what I should say is he's either a caricature or someone who's mentally ill. And like, is he though? I mean, that's, just a, that's just a straw man. <laughs> I mean, that's well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, they okay. may not have been as far off the mark as you might. I mean, think. he does. Well, he, well, he's either, he's either mentally ill, not in the sense of like, I mean, only mentally ill people like groom children to be their weird, like quasi-sexual love. Sure, objects, sure, there was right? that element. Yeah, 
I think that what I'm talking yeah, about so. is the elements that kind of ring as true as far as the non as someone you might know that's a little bit out there and this is maybe taking that philosophy to the extreme but taking yeah, yeah. that philosophy to the extreme is not it doesn't seem as weird to me now as it may have in 2016 maybe is what i'm trying to say yeah i also do think that they try to telegraph that that john goodman's character does have some you know level of of mental health problems it's like kind of that unclear kind of general like autism you know uh, yeah he's sort, sort of, of just crazy spectrum. in a general sense right? yeah it's not like a super they don't draw a hard line but and i don't think he's that got was a really cocktail of things happening yeah he's just has like mostly social like social problems he doesn't seem very what like socialized basically would be the way to put it um and then i also do kind of agree with pepe that there are some kind of meta plot like weird things like we never really are explained to how John Goodwin's character knows about the attack. Like if he just saw this, this flash of light that Emmett describes and that's it. But like, he seemed to have had some, like even before that, like sense that attack was going to happen very soon. Maybe it's just his general paranoia that he like always thinks an attack is about to happen. I think it was a broken clock um, thing. It just happened yeah, to be right. It, yeah. And then also the kind of weird thing, and this is like pretty minor, but he lives at 10 Cloverfield Lane and Cloverfield is the name that the, in, in the movie Cloverfield is the name the government designates to like the event. It's like the Cloverfield event is this monster attack. And he just also happens to live on a lane called Cloverfield, so, which is just kind of odd. Does that know, mean generally he was, well, strange? I mean, does that mean he was at the epicenter of the initial event then? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would kind of imply that like the first, but they say they saw like an explosion off in a city, like far off in a city. No, um, I mean, I think I got the impression that I got was that that was like they filmed this whole movie and then put that mailbox in the movie to justify it having the title of 10 Cloverfield sure. Lane. Yeah, and there's just no like in-world explanation for why that yeah. is. Because like the aliens what... in this, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry, you can continue. I was just going to say, because the aliens in this movie don't look like the aliens in the other movie. No, it's like an, I think the impression like we get as overall from the Cloververse is it's like an incursion of many different like you know, they got their ground troops and they're like, you know, shock trooper giant monster thing. And like, you know, it's like just a, like a war on many fronts. And this is like just the guys who are patrolling, I guess. Which makes sense. They use like a hound like creature. I don't know. Those flashes that kicked this all off. That was phase one. Take out your opponent's population centers with big hits all at once, fast. And then for round two. Ground sweeps. Yeah, there you go. He predict. I mean, he predicts it in the same way that any person who knows how an intelligent civilization wages war would predict it, because that's how war works. Um, but yeah, he calls I do, it. Do you just want to say I don't think it's a coincidence of, on the location that they chose this movie to be in? I mean, yes, it's at his house, the whole bunker and stuff, but it's in a very like farm midwest kind of location and i think that part that's where i i don't know if i agree if if the political stance or political angle to this movie was intentional or not but there was definitely some thought into the kind of characters and location that just happened to also be a you know the demographic of of, of people that live in places like that in america 
Um, and so for me, I'm just like, it seems too much to be a coincidence to not have been thought out of, but I could also like see it not being something that they actually really did think about it because obviously, I mean, a lot of these, these films, these films are being made in America and just, you know, subconsciously it could just be part of the way that we see certain like, um, stories. Um, and, and just the fact that in a small town too, that, you know, this girl went missing and the other character, the other, I'm forgetting his name, um, who was there in the bunker with them knew about this girl going missing is also a very small town America kind of thing that at least a lot of people in bigger cities obviously would not know if someone went missing and not know directly, at least that makes sense. It does. Yeah, yeah. no, that's yeah. a good point. I mean, and whether or not I think that it was a conscience, a conscience, a conscious decision on the writer's part. Um, I think that just the era it was written and it came out, he must have at least at very minimally uh, just been kind of soaking up what's what had been going on at, at this time. And that kind of bled into the work or it was very intentional. But either way, this has those those elements of this era in it uh, strongly. In many ways, too, I think another explanation could be that in many ways, this film is the exact opposite of Cloverfield, whereas the film Cloverfield was found, you know, found footage, not like, you know, it had an in-universe explanation for its its filming, and it was much larger. There were like many more characters. There was a huge bombastic monster the whole time. It took place in a city like they very much wanted to do the opposite. So instead of a big cast, they had a small cast. Instead of found footage, it was very produced. Instead of having it in a big city, it was in a small town, like, uh, you know, small setting. Um, so like, yeah, in very many ways, it seems like they intentionally were like, let's do the exact opposite of that. That's one of the things I loved about it is that it was like, yeah, yeah like that's that you may have associated Cloverfield with this found footage thing, but let's yes and the fuck out of it. And um, now it can be this and maybe it can be, you know, something else, question mark. So um, this movie did a good a good job of kind of redefining what Cloverfield could be, potentially, which I yeah. thought was really yeah. neat. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. It, you know, the isolation. And again, we've talked about, you know, gothic horror. Um, this definitely brought some elements from gothic horror. Um, the isolation um the magnifying of you know tension between between the characters um the fact that both of the characters that are not monsters are hurt physically which adds another level of tension um but as far as john goodman's character um I don't think it was necessarily a political statement i mean definitely there is the archetype of this probably happened in the Midwest because of the bomb shelter and the ability to do that. Um, but I think this is more uh, uh, Michelle's um, kind of as a protagonist, her story. And John Goodman is a monster and he's an abuser. Um, and he's definitely the antagonist and all the kind of complexities that go into that, you know, uh, cat and mouse game between the both of them. And yeah, but I think the I think the problem is, is is though that I was I think the problem though is that he's all those things that you said, Jim. But he's also a Republican, right? You would list that along with those things. 
So am I understanding that that is a problem for you, James? Well, no. I mean, I, I just, I'm wondering what, I'm wondering if there was some intention behind it. Like, if we are supposed to associate those traits with with that other trait, right? I if mean, there, it makes sense, like, I was going to say, it makes an, sense the yeah. location. The location makes sense because you're like, okay, this movie's going to take place in a bomb shelter, an underground bomb shelter, so where are we going to set it? Berkeley. Like, that's not going to work, you know? No, right. Um, yeah, it's going to be in a cornfield somewhere. Like, that makes sense. But, I, like, I'm wondering whether, like, that was the thought process or if they also, like, went so far as, like, well, but this guy, we're all he's also going to be, like, ex-military. He's also going to be, like, blue-collar. He's also going to be religious and conservative and all this other stuff. And on top of that, and, and because he is all of those things, it's going to be easier to sort of like see him as being crazy. Sure. In uh, these I, ways. Yeah. Also, uh, yeah, go ahead. I also wanted to add that it is interesting because initially I didn't really understand the point of it, but at the beginning of her leaving this, she seems like she's, basically just leaving this relationship with this guy, right? That's the, the very intro of the movie. It is interesting to see that basically it feels like she might have been leaving a toxic relationship with one man to go into another toxic environment with another man. And I don't, and again, initially I didn't really see the connection of what the purpose of that was, but now talking about it with you guys, um, I can see that maybe that was, that was very intentional on on the writer's part Absolutely. of basically you know trying to frame this issue of uh, here's you know what once a woman leaves one toxic environment maybe she's gonna go and encounter another one with another man um and so i thought that was definitely something that could could have been intentional and just thinking about this movie had the protagonist been a male this whole movie would be different right like yeah. it wouldn't have the same creepy dynamic that you know that we saw and felt throughout this movie between john goodman and, and the protagonist so um there also seems at least again i don't know if it's a political stance or anything but there is definitely an intent to having a female protagonist in this situation Absolutely. for this movie no it's a good yeah. point and having said that i'll be quick um Basically, um, well, first of all, I don't even know if they, the writer, I'm curious, and I don't know if there's any way to know this, uh, whether or not this is even started as a Cloverfield movie or if it was just a movie they thought would be really neat to tie into that or whatever. But uh, having said that, I'm even more convinced there was intent here. And with writers, I mean, man, you really should be pretty conscious. You're taking that subtext and that subconscious stuff and thinking about it very directly as a writer and the, and what you get in the movies about, you know, the tip of the iceberg as far as what thought has been put into it. So I'd well, almost I don't, be disappointed don't if it wasn't intentional. Yeah, I don't think that's always true, though. Um, no, if it's done right, I think it is, though. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, but even in very intentional, like, the movie that jumps to mind when I think about this is um, Dead Man Walking, right? Okay. And that's that was... That was even the book was written by a nun who um, had the stated intent of making an anti-death penalty, writing an anti-death penalty book and then movie. And she later sort of admitted that 
she did a bad job of that. It really yeah. wasn't what she wanted it to be. It was a cudgel, right? Is how I put it. Yeah. If a movie starts using a political thing, a political issue as a cudgel, and then you're not so much entertained as pulled out and being lectured to. Well, but even but even beyond that, she just said that it didn't achieve what she wanted it to achieve because, to to her mind at least, the re the only reason why the man in that movie, um, sort of, um, admitted his wrongdoing was because he was going to be killed, and if he hadn't been coming up against that hard line of facing the death penalty, he never would have. And so what's important to her is that man is not necessarily that man not being subject to the death penalty, but his salvation and his self. He would never. And, you know, in her mind as a nun, he never would have achieved that salvation had he not confessed his sins. And he never would have done that unless he was going to be killed. And so she sort of, you know, her, her stated aim was to make a movie about the evils of um, the death penalty. And she, did exactly yeah. to her mind did exactly the opposite. This is the Susan Sarandon and Sean Penn movie. Yeah, yeah. Right, I remember. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I remember feeling at the time that it was kind of Oscar bait and the political issue. It was wearing it on its sleeve, which just rarely, if ever, works for me. I think that maybe we can agree on this: that whether or not it was intentional, uh, that stuff that was imbued definitely in the movie. Oh yeah, uh, they did a good yeah. job of the, not making it overt or pulling me out with that. The politics that did either seep in there or were you know uh, woven in there into the tapestry of the film, if you if you would. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kat, what you just said is actually really interesting because, well, I, I don't. <laughs> sorry, that sounded a little dismissive. It is very interesting because um, it made me sort of. Uh, think that this movie might be an allegory for marriage, for the marriage that she just left. Um, that's a really interesting, I mean, the I don't know what you would do with the ending, but at least like, you know, the 95% of the movie might be an allegory for the marriage that she just left or marriage in general, right? And And that would sort of work out with the way that we're talking about John Goodman, right? Because marriage is seen as this very sort of like, so by some, I suppose, antiquated sort of like old-fashioned religious thing, you know, that's that the hip the hip young kids don't really want to be a part of anymore. You know? Yeah, how I read it was like uh, basically they were exploring different aspects of toxic uh, male attitudes or uh, personalities, maybe just to state that is interesting. I was going to say, uh, when Kat was just talking about Michelle's character and, and like how important it is to have a female main character in this, I was going to mention something that now has even more context with, with what Pepe is saying. Um, but, but what I was going to say is that uh, the movie does a great job of showing us her character. And then like, again, like I said, with uh, Stranger Than Fiction, laying these breadcrumbs that are very satisfying later on, the fact that she's a seamstress or like, like wants to be a seamstress. And we see that at the be very beginning of the movie, the first shot of the film. We see that she wants to be a seamstress. We see her drawings. And then that later becomes very important. And then when she's at the gas station getting gas, we see her being very suspicious. Like when a truck driver pulls up next to her, she's like very, like immediately very wary, which is like a very realistic reaction for most women who are at a gas station at night um, and uh, immediately gets in her car and leaves. And uh, I think it's interesting that in the film, like, so what Pepe is saying, the thing that breaks her out of these relationships that, that allows her to escape 
is her passion, her being a seamstress, the fact that she knows how to work with clothing, the fact that she can create this this suit that allows her to escape is like could very much be a metaphor. Plant for and pay off. You. I'll call that. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it very well could be a, a metaphor for her using her career to escape or using her, her yeah, hobby, just her being passion. able to do yeah. be on her own, not need other people. Yeah, and maybe I mean if you want to connect the ending to that, like just her literally defeating this this monster and becoming independent. Like she, you know, she slays a monster and then drives off into the sunset uh and, and is finally alone, both figuratively and literally. Well, Wasn't quite. it what another woman think on of the, the radio? Very... We're probably talking Sorry, about the same scene. No, I think we're think we're talking about the same thing. That, and I just since we're on this theme, it's making me reflect. And I'm thinking, wasn't it a female that was coming over the radio as yeah. well? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. She's not speaking directly to her, but yeah, she's hearing a broadcast that they need help, and she realizes that if she can kill one ship by herself with a handmade Molotov, she could probably do it some more times. So, uh, yeah, she, special, she, well, she, uh, oh, it was a Molotov. Okay, that's why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, that was one hell of a torch. I, I guess I must not have <laughs> thought that. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those movie Molotovs, though, where it's like, is that liquor hard enough to be an actual Molotov? Yeah, just, like, like, usually... a, just like a small nuclear device. <laughs> yeah, cut. usually Molotovs are like gasoline. Like, usually alcohol is not the chief thing used in a Molotov, but a lot of movies show like beer being used as a Molotov. It's like, that doesn't work. If you've seen a video of one of those things going off, they are devastating. Yikes. And super yeah. dangerous. Or like Everclear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean he is like a, the kind of guy that might distill his own stuff uh, didn't he set that well, up actually yeah, yeah that's exactly what that was. Yeah. the penny just dropped okay yeah. i'm catching up guys sorry i do i just wanted to say two things kind of based off what pepe say about the relationship being uh you know it, it being about marriage basically um I, it would explain maybe her ability if she was in a toxic relationship prior to going into another toxic uh environment that it would maybe explain her ability to think on her uh, on her feet really quickly and her kind of ability to have to kind of be on a survival mode and one of my criticisms about this film and I and I like a lot of films like this where there's a female protagonist in a like creepy situation like this is that it never feels realistic because I'm like if I was in that situation there's no way I would be thinking that about how to do this and how and maybe and maybe I would if adrenaline was to kick in I don't know uh hopefully I'll never be in that situation but um it always feels so like it's like not only is 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 the female protagonist like able to think about things um and be really resourceful and everything but also they always tend to have some sort of like strength like superhuman strength almost um when when dealing with any sort of conflict or if they get punched or anything, they're able to get back up. And although right. I'm sure there's some people that are able to maybe do all those things, I think normally, realistically, most people wouldn't be able to do nearly half of the of the things that pe that people are able to somehow do in these situations and get themselves out. Yeah. Um, and so, it, in that sense, it's kind of like even even though, like as a female protagonist, it's supposed to be kind of this form of like of i don't know empowerment within that um and seeing them in films the fact that they're almost like this superhuman version of what it is to be in that situation or like realistically to be in that situation makes it also feel so much more like like mm, having a hard time like maybe the right words but it makes it feel 
more disappointing in some way in in the sense of just like well i'm never gonna do that realistically and so this doesn't help me in that situation even though this environment is very realistic even though these kind of environments can definitely for sure happen the way that she's acting and act, trying and, and able to get out of the situation isn't something i feel like me or many other women would be able to do if that makes sense uh, also guilty as charged i a lot of people panic in those situations and shut down and that's a natural yeah. response so i mean while you'd never really know until you were in a situation like that how you would respond it's safe to say that you probably wouldn't respond on the level of an action hero, which she kind of did respond on that level. Um, but then I, I again, think, she kind of is an action hero in the in a movie. So, yeah, I think partially what I was going to say was it's it's kind of a movie problem that like right. I mean, virtually every movie that has action and has a hero who rises way above, you know, human capabilities. But I think that why it sticks out with a female protagonist is because our society tells us that females are so frail and weak and, and not capable typically like that is the typical message. And so when you see a woman in the situation, we put, you know, any male action hero in, you see a woman in that exact same position. And it's like, that doesn't seem realistic because you know, we society just expect less. Well, what did you call it? Damsel in distress well, syndrome or what? what? Damsel yeah, I mean, I've used that before. Yeah. But like, I mean, this is kind of the opposite of that is someone trying to break away from that, where she is trying to be, uh, is trying to save herself, and that is generally so, a good thing to have a female protagonist who can save herself. Yeah, no, but, it is. It's a learning moment for me because in Dracula, that never stood out to me, and in this, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, she would probably realistically probably be killed. And so here yeah. I am well, responding in the I, exact way that uh, that maybe I've been uh, trained to, right? Like I just didn't see it until you pointed yeah. it out, Devin. That it's like, yeah, there was a lot of damsels in distress in that. And that was a yeah, it's legit very much thing a to product. at least, you know, I mean, it can work and, it, and it, I think it pretty much did, but I mean, at least you should recognize that that's what's happening, you know, and call it out because that certainly is. Um, and I in this assume. one, I had that same feeling as Kat did. Yeah. And I, and I think the, the criticism, obviously, because it's like, this is a, this obviously is a film. So like my realistic expectations of how she should have maybe realistically handled the situation obviously is out the window when we're talking about a film but i think what i have an issue with is typically when we see men in these kind of like situations that the circumstances are unrealistic in themselves in, in itself whereas this kind okay. of situation isn't super unrealistic and so to be able as a female at least to be able to relate to that situation as being oh this is a realistic thing that honestly like a lot of women are in fear of but you're going to show a reaction that is unrealistic to 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 uh the situation then that's the part where i criticize because of the fact that when men are in the same situation for similar storylines as being the superhero that is a great usually point. they're fighting they're fighting thor they're fighting yeah. a super god and that's not of course and everything is out the window because it's like yes none 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 of these the this reality is realistic by any terms and but, even then yeah. with superheroes and stuff you have your like indiana jones moments where you just kind of like aren't up to the task and that kind of makes them endearing too so did it, i want to know if a male wrote this and if so was he afraid to write in some moments where she couldn't handle what was going on and maybe that would have even plus the movie more yeah it was written uh josh campbell sorry josh campbell wrote it okay i was right man 
Go ahead, Jim. Um, I have a different take um, on it, and um, well, that's I not feel allowed. Like this character, <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. <laughs> no, I I felt like both the setting and um, the female protagonists were realistic. Um, this movie, for some reason, reminded me a lot of Halloween Two. The the not the Rob Zombie, the original Halloween Two with Jamie Lee Curtis where she's in the hospital, um, she's got a broken ankle. She is physically um, really incapable of fighting a monster, um, but yet she does because she has to survive. And I feel like uh, Michelle is in that same situation. She has to. Um, and I feel like this movie is very pur- purposeful <clears throat> and intentional with the beats that it sets up um it sets up michelle as a resourceful out-of-the-box thinker in small instances and in bigger instances when she thinks santa claus she's the only one you know of the two which is not a big nod but it is definitely not she was able to get there but in the very beginning scene uh well not the beginning scene excuse me the scene where she she comes to and she finds herself a captive um, and she's she's panicking. She's just trying to get out of that harness, you, you know, and the chain. And then when um, when Howard brings her the crutches, she starts to think, and she she takes off the 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 knob and she starts sharpening it like a stake. But she doesn't win. She doesn't win a lot of those physical contests, um, or she has to think kind of cunning. And that's where the the cat and mouse game kind of comes between the abuser and, and and the victim. She has to match cunning with the abuser in order to survive out of this situation. Um, the instance where she grabbed the keys by playing on um, the kind of the pecking order between two males in the room and playing them off against each other. Um, she knew what she had in that moment and she she made um howard angry so that she could get the key so he would get close and she get the keys um to try to escape in that instance and there wasn't a lot of like physical like i'm gonna beat you up it was um survivor mode and and i feel like the movie very beautifully set that up to the type of survivor she she is um but I can definitely see the, the point, like, because this is a movie, and so it has to play along certain lines to bring you, you know, to the conclusion. And, you know, it's fantastic, you know, in that respect. Um, but no, I, I I thought the character was, was believable for sure. Here's a quick clip. You've got some fighting. I can respect that. So... Um, yeah, and I agree, Jim, that, uh, it's not like it was something that really bothered me at the time, but it's almost like upon reflecting, and if I'm just swapping out the sexes here to try to, like, even the playing field or whatever, I I feel like those moments where even Thor, like, will fumble or whatever are, like, kind of important to making them endearing and more uh, accessible or something, and I feel Mm -hmm. like... It's possible that a lot of male writers who are writing female characters are wary of putting in those touches. 
And then you end up with, I think they call it like a Mary Sue or something like that. Correct me if I'm wrong, where she's just good at everything everything. and it just doesn't, it somehow feels like you're then in the uh, uncanny valley as far as the character goes. But I didn't get that sense from this one, but I think probably, you know, a couple of Indiana Jones moments where she wasn't up to the task wouldn't have hurt. But it's not like I was like, man, she's like a total Mary Sue. It didn't that didn't occur to me either. Mm-hmm. Something to note, though, is just as as writers, I think, and people who try to create realistic characters. There's something there's something about her arc as a character in the story that is odd because I didn't I didn't find myself disbelieving the things that she was doing moment to moment, but I did find myself disbelieving at the end of the movie when she was like, yeah, uh, Houston, going to go fight the aliens. Like there was something about that sort of like bow that they tried to put on what had just happened to her and what she was Neo on at her. that point, right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Fully and fleshed I, out and realized. Yeah, I just, I couldn't imagine her character making that decision um, given what had just happened to her in the movie. Um Whereas in different in other movies like um, uh, like Fury Road, like you never have any doubt, like anything that Charlize Theron's character does in that movie is just like, oh yeah, she's a badass. She could kill everybody. She's totally doing everything, you know. <laughs> or like the, I, I guess the classic example is Sigourney Weaver in Alien. Like absolutely, sh- she starts out as game over, man. A sort of like m- m- like like mm. B level badass and just becomes S tier by the end of that movie, and you just see it you realize it you are there for the whole arc and there's something about i'm I'm not sure i can put on my finger my finger on what it is exactly but that final sort of like thing that they tried to do at the end just didn't ring true to me i think it's Uh, because she was a little too gung-ho about it rather than i'm reacting to a shitty situation i'm now more of a comic book character like leaning into it and heading into the fight. Like now I'm yeah. who I was meant to be kind of thing rather than, man, I'm just, I'm a person oh, yeah. reacting to this terrible thing that's happening. Like a taking up the thing. mantle moment. Right. Exactly. Like it's, I don't feel I would be that way either. And even though she has some, she does have a point where she's like, you've got to be kidding me, but it also kind of came off like she was still leaning into it. Like, let's do this thing kind of was the sentiment. I felt like those moments, those moments detracted from the movie a little bit to me because I, I think that the movie realized that it's like, okay, the audience is like really suspending their disbelief at this point. And so they wanted to sort of like hang a lampshade on it and having her make comments like that, I thought was like their way of doing that. And I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Anywhere that, that was... it, anywhere that JJ put his fingers on this it it made it less than it should have been man he should have stopped with super eight he should have just stopped with super eight and there it is that's our final uh (laughs) that's our final comment on this so did anyone have anything else you want to get into the into the mix before we uh i was gonna say he probably should have stopped with fringe i mean fringe is a masterpiece but you can't if i could submit tv if i could submit uh, like you know, nine hundred hours worth of TV to this podcast. That's that's what I would. That would be every submission would be oh fringe. Boy. <laughs> I'm up for it. Uh, also, yeah, put fringe on a streaming service. You fucking cowards! I don't want to pay one ninety nine per episode. You goddamn assholes. 
I haven't seen it, so you, so maybe I should check it in. Oh my god, Ben, you're in for a treat. Yeah. Find it. Okay. Find it somewhere. All right. I'll I'll write a letter to my congressperson and let them know I demand that it go on a free streaming. <laughs> yeah, to your congressperson. <laughs> Get it done. So anything else you want to say? And I think we kind of like almost had to, I feel like we kind of had to fish around for some stuff, but there's always stuff you can talk about or nitpick at or whatever. Yeah. Overall, um, what a fantastic uh, film and re- thoroughly entertaining and all the twists I was in for all of it and the acting uh, was wonderful. Even that lady at the door that I played the clip of earlier, it's like, well done. What a great showcase for her. And I didn't look her up or anything, but I meant to. Um, but uh, that probably, it couldn't have hurt her chances of getting other roles because she just did a fantastic job. They uh, all did. Suzanne Cryer is her name. Oh, okay. Anything notable? That IMDb. Hopefully she's still working. Uh, she does a great job in this movie. She's on a show called All Rise. Cool. I have not get heard that, of. Get that um, she's money. A mostly, looks like mostly a TV actress. Yeah. Great. Go get it. Good she's job. really typecast as like just banging her heads against her head against things yeah. right <laughs> yikes like a football player <laughs> early yeah. retirement and just suffer those poor guys well just because Devin mentioned it i thought that that dog creature was dumb and not cool because you never get to see it the parts of it that you do get to see like the weird mouth parts those are cool but Probably only because you get to see them yeah yeah, but also, like, hack. how many, like, how many thousand, like, dog monsters have I seen in in movies? Like, come on, be a little more. Willow creative. for one. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah, was, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. It had that hagfish mouth, and that really got me. If anybody doesn't know what a hagfish is, look them up. They're crazy cool. Yeah, that did have a creepy <laughs> mouth, and crazy, the mouth crazy of the cool. uh, the big flying thing that she lobbed the uh yeah molotov into was a pretty great uh moment uh, very um very war of the worlds it reminded me a lot of the, absolutely the war of the world i mean clearly this was a war that sounded like war of the worlds right mm-hmm. just well done yeah so i have uh two just two things to add the the first is and you had and you had mentioned it devin um at the gas station when she seen the truck was that Howard's truck? Because I, because they had such purposeful placement of everything in this movie, and they lingered on that truck. I have a feeling that it might be. Did it look I the believe, same? From what I you believe remember, it was a tow truck that pulled in next to her. I okay. believe it was a tow truck. I think it was more to illustrate just that she's like fearful in general for her safety, like that mm-hmm. she's just on guard in like already in survival mode before the event happens that she needs to survive. Did it occur uh, to anyone else that it felt like very much like a Hitchcock opening, almost like the opening of psycho or something. She's already leading into it. Yeah. One of the fun facts about the film on IMDb was that Michelle does not have a spoken line until 10 minutes into the film. I noted that too. It's so quiet. That'd be kind of cool from a filmmaking standpoint. Like if you're like, first week of shooting you don't even have lines and you can just do the physicality and kind of get used to being on set and getting into the role and stuff that would be really great i think for everyone uh the director and whomever else is involved so and then that's just like pure visual storytelling right there you know it really puts everyone in the right mindset yeah but then when the dialogue hits and it hits hard 
and, and it was excellent. Like that, the the very first beginning yeah. scene when she leaves her wedding ring and the keys, and you're like, why? You, you know, yeah. it sets it up in a very suspenseful way. Um, so, but it, the last thing that I wanted to add was what this reviewer had said, um, and. I hadn't seen the ending as a way of continuing this until I had read it. I, I totally missed it. But now having read the review, it, it kind of makes sense. So some of the what we had talked to, and I'll try to do as much justice as I can to this, what we had talked to about being an allegory or um, a woman that had suffered abuse, um, she had had said you know, I often run, you know, she had an abusive father, she's been in abusive relationships. And she says, I often cut and run. And that's what she was kind of doing um, at the beginning of the movie when she was in the car, running away from, you know, a possible abusive, you know, relationship. We don't really get confirmation in that, but there is that suspicion. It was implied pretty well. And then, yeah, it was impli implied in, in certain ways. And then when she is in the bunker and she has to fight Howard, it's 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 a has to. And he's obviously um, an abuser by numbers. You know, he's controlling. Um, he, you know, he, he tells both people how they're supposed to behave. And there are so many scenes where that happens and how they're right. supposed to feel even. You, you know, and that they're and that he's he's magnanimous. You know, I saved you, you know, especially towards her. I saved you. You're Show supposed to feel grateful to me. Yeah. While at the same time, he is very deaf to their own feelings and and the tension that he's creating and the emotions that he's creating by being an abuser. Um. So she has to fight him. She has to fight the aliens because, again, that's an extension. But the movie didn't want to leave it there because then that would get back to Pepe's point of serving that kind of that that connection that the abuser was right. You know, they're, they, they were right to hide in the bunker. So when she comes to the final point. scene. Yeah. So when she comes to the final scene. It literally is a fork in the road. And remember, she's run every time. And she has, um, and she, she's gotten a series of announcements. We talked about the female announcer, but there was another announcement talking about the safe zone, right? Right. And I about that, that was one direction. But then the female announcer was if you wish to fight, come to Houston. And she had that conscious choice. Do I run like I always have to safety or do I choose of my own volition now? I don't have to, right? I'm in a situation where I get to choose. I choose to go to Houston to continue the fight. And if it is seen in that way, it kind of puts that nice bow tie over everything. Definitely. And it also yep. points out that John Goodman we know that he's a monster in very literal ways, uh, you know, and that he had a girl there before. And uh, when he shows the acid, that's a chilling pointer to the past as well. What he did with the body of that girl, you know, yeah. it's chilling. It's just, you know, talking about it gives me chills. But he was a coward. He was selfish. 
because he did not choose to fight. He chose to hide in a bunker. He's right? literally inviting and her not to participate. do what she's been doing her whole life. Yeah. Man, this yes, is good. Exactly. I really like this. And yeah, terrorizes yeah, yeah. Them. Let's have a whole nother conversation now. Because it's all about him. Yeah, let's, no, cut here. let's start over. The whole right? film is recontextualized. They <laughs> so have to start up from the No, stretch. this is yeah. fucking... Oh, man. That was great. Thank really, you. Really, really yeah. good yeah. for bringing that. Well, well, it wasn't... And I wish I would have caught that on my own. I got the abuse yeah, in the beginning, and then I got the abuse in the middle. But once it turned all science fiction-y, I lost the thread of that, and I didn't yeah. see the end for what it was. Yeah, that character arc was delivered really nicely. Yeah in that sense so yeah no and that was like i said that was one of my sticking points of the movie and i think that's a really nice way of reading it it's really good i like it more for having heard that (laughs) yeah thank you jim yeah 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 you guys are welcome man yeah good job um and so this is why we keep them around (laughs) (laughs) just laying down the knowledge yeah. Uh, so uh, while we go ahead and tally our grades, uh, why don't we have uh, a commercial break? Can't wait. And now a word from <laughs> our sponsors. Can you see conspiracies happening all around you when others can't? I mean, what's wrong with these people? Are they even smart enough to think? Well, good for you for seeing through the lies. You're just the sensible guy we're looking for. If you have it on good evidence that your preferred flavor of apocalypse is at minimum 8 to 12 weeks away, and you have fifty to $100,000 in disposable income stuffed into a mattress and buried somewhere on your family farm, there's no time to waste. Invest today in the post-apocalyptic life of your dreams. And drive your pickup on down to Bob's Bunker Warehouse, where my team of specialists are at your disposal to turn your bunker fantasy into a beautiful reality. Hurry up into our deluxe showroom where you can browse our top-of-the-line bunkers fit for a king. No? Savior. Yeah, that sounds right. Those people lucky enough to be in here with you had better be grateful and start showing some appreciation. When you're here, you may not need to use the bathroom. You will, though. Go. Now, you're welcome to close the curtain. Act now, and as a signing bonus, you'll get a lifetime subscription to Duck and Cover Magazine, pre-printed 50 years in advance so you can enjoy a new issue every week while you're living that bunker lifestyle. Imagine the look on their faces when they find out that you're not wrong. They are Bob's Bunker Warehouse. You're going to like the way they cook. I guarantee it. If they had only listened, at least you tried to help them, so it's not your bad thing. Oh, well, back to lording it over your two captains. The duck and cover magazines are really only one issue with different dates printed on them. Sorry, we filled out the quizzes. Bob's Bunker Warehouse, a Cloverfield company. (laughs) Nice. Very nice. Oh, my God. I received my sample of Bob's Bunker in the mail yesterday. It's it's very nice. Yeah. It's palatial. Deluxe. (laughs) Oh, yeah, man. All the all the food is in all the food is in buckets. Um, that was a week's yeah. food yeah, you knocked what, over. Uh, yeah, what food was in those buckets? What kind of food do you keep in Dude, buckets? Dude, that's the uh, that's the <laughs> that's food. the fucking bucket the fucking the fucking Alex <laughs> Jones Infowars making the frogs gay food. Dude, that's what that shit comes in. <laughs> I thought it was soylent green myself. They have been in this case. Oh man, soylent green. Okay, here we go. Poetry. Yeah, poetry. Bro. 
It's time for final grades. Uh, I'm going to kick this off and I'm going to give it a solid A. Um, I, I think that this was one of the better submissions and one of the, my favorite conversations thus far, because we revealed so much through it. So, um, yeah, solid A on this one, despite, uh, the nitpicky things. Uh, Kat, where, where did you land on this? So initially I was going to give it a C because I did feel as what Pepe said earlier, very lukewarm about this movie um that was kind of just my initial reaction but uh having this lovely conversation with you guys and going kind of deeper into it um i i have to give it a b um i i always i even with the c i thought obviously john goodman's acting was phenomenal and i really actually enjoyed the movie but the ending of it was really the big part that made me kind of go mm, i'm not sure about the movie as a whole but Jim's uh, an analysis of the ending really made me feel like it was actually a much more well-written and better movie than I gave it a credit for. So I'm going to do B. Yeah. Yeah. They're B layers. <laughs> so uh, Devin, where'd you, where'd you land on this one? Another D minus? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, so yeah, I had a, I had a similar thing with cat, except that what I was going to do was give us an A minus because I, loved everything about it except for the ending like uh like i said it's one of my favorite movies of all time just that the ending was a little shaky but again after jim's explanation or the this reviewer that jim has brought to us uh yeah i i think it's a solid a honestly yep, like I, 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 I hate i hate to give something i hate to give something a perfect score but i i can't think of anything this movie could it went from a to a minus back to a with jim's bow that he tied around it at the end there for me so well done uh pepe where'd you land on this guy Man, to give it a to tank this grade so that it doesn't beat enemy is that what I should? Your do? grade to give? Yeah, yeah. No, Professor I know. Um, <laughs> do it, do it, do no, it. No, I think that um, I think that I think we had a really good discussion about this movie, but I think it took a lot from us to like tease out the good, the like goodness of this movie. Yeah, and to be honest, I think that. In a day or two, I won't be thinking about this movie anymore. Um, I think I'm going to give it a C. Okay. Um, well, that makes uh, me cry. So, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's book, a... Professor. <laughs> John Goodman <laughs> no, does that's, such that's a good fine. job in this movie. No, I mean, you were the know, dissenting man. voice from the beginning. So, that's true. I feel bad because we did have such a good talk about it, but I just think it's a pretty okay movie you know teasing it's okay. that is valid i would i would just really not to reopen the discussion but to to offer just a brief counterpoint that i thought this movie was already excellent before we teased out the extra stuff and now it was like mm -hmm. oh okay throw uh, some whipped cream and a couple of cherries on top yeah well. you know i think well so one of one of, an author that i really like has talked about his sort of like process of writing and he says it's not good enough to have a good idea, you have to make that good idea jump through hoops. Yep. And I think this movie has a good idea, but I don't think it makes it jump through hoops. Um, as ridiculous as that sounds, because of all of the like weird shit that happens in this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. See, fuck, I guess. To quote George Costanza, oh, it, there were hoops, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, gentlemen, Jim Scott, you get the final word on this. Um, 
I give it a, a solid A. Um, you had said it right on the nose. I enjoyed it before the discussion. Um, I remember at the time this movie was released, there was a lot of acclaim about the way John Goodman acted. And I think this was kind of like in Harrison's uh, Harrison Ford's role in What Lies Beneath when that was such a oh, shocker. Excellent example. Um, this was on that same level because John Goodman played a lot. I, I can't think of a role where he, he's been really creepy per se until this one. Usually he's a really lovable guy and just the way he played it and the, the tension you know, and beautiful. the wheels that are kind of turning. And let let me not forget the protagonist. I felt in danger with her, you know, uh, and all the different beats that it that it went to. You you know, she's trapped yeah. in the basement, and then she finally does escape. And oh no, this guy is not necessarily crazy. There really is something going outside when she sees the woman. And then they have the happy uh, home life, like what Devin was relating to. And then it's back to he's a monster. He really did have a little, you know, a girl here and just that ratcheting up, man, um, it hits so many different notes and uh, different things that I like about horror and survivor tales, Absolutely. both in books and movies. So solid A, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously I agree. Um, and I mean, it was complex and I think maybe that complexity may have been the reason I wasn't so analytical about it but I'm glad that we had this chance to t discuss it because I always get so much out of our discussions and maybe particularly with this one, we uncovered a lot. And so that was pretty, pretty, pretty good. So, um, yeah, Cloverfield, uh, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Loved it. Um, it is time to... Do you want to know to... GPA? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. How did it do? Uh, so that See, he's already it, forgetting about this forgettable movie. <laughs> that has put it so much. <laughs> I just he's ready to move on to so the good. new shit. Yeah, right. Um, that has put it solidly at the uh, what I'll call the Pepe echelon of three point four B plus, exactly the same as Enemy and the Lighthouse. Oh man! So Can I change my grade to a spot. C minus? <laughs> <laughs> Too late. You're locked in. Uh, okay. Judges are saying no. <laughs> yeah uh, actually it's to you pepe i oh no uh wait it's jim right rolling next uh yeah no, devin's, jim. devin's got a roll right no i rolled, rolled last week oh, rolled, okay. uh, first i think so uh yeah gentlemen oh. jim scott uh i believe we need a d6 look at that okay, a, a bag of dice always within arm's reach yeah. It's not even a bag of dice i have dice scattered on my desk <laughs> yeah it's just no, already no. out and ready to go as they say, you stay ready. You don't get ready. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Words to live by. Okay, here's your drum roll. All right. Here we go. And I got a six, which there is three choices, right? So that would be a three. Okay, number three. We are going to be watching a movie called Under the Skin. Came out in 2013 and is, I know how to pronounce this now, Canopy. It is on Canopy for your viewing pleasure. I've seen pleasure. this movie. I fucking love this movie. Oh, man, I'm so glad someone chose this movie. Okay. Hey, it's Pepe's movie. It's Pepe's movie, everybody. Again, we, he, yeah, we he all know. Yeah, he picked two. <laughs> yeah, he chose two movies. Two. 
Yeah, two <laughs> two canopy movies, both movies right? that I like. Actually, I like it because you get to see some nudity, but you know, some other stuff. <laughs> Content warning. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, I'll just do a quick show announcement. Um, sad and happy news all at once. Uh, there's going to be no show in two weeks from today due to the fact that I'll be moving on the day that we're supposed to be broadcasting. So um, for a co-host, this two weeks from today, we will not be recording. Um, also, uh, I wrote it down as an edict, but we can discuss it. I was thinking that after every series, we will take a week off to sort of avo avoid uh, burnout and reset. Uh, so if that I was actually going to suggest that if that sounds yeah, good to good you idea. guys, we'll start that for the next series. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's it. Uh, I'm moving into a place. Uh, my wife and I uh, bought a place, and we'll do a bomb shelter, right? It does come with a bunker. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but don't come knocking. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, I'm so not looking forward to breaking all this gear down that I finally got set up perfect for our show and running smoothly, oh, wow. and then resetting it back up. But uh, so we'll see how don't that. You, don't you just put a like a trough on the side of the desk and just take your arm and go like this? I will now. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that, yeah. That's definitely guaranteed to work out. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I think how so. It's, that's how it's going to happen. It's canon. Um, so quickly, fan emails. You can write to ben at redhenmedia.com, and we may respond on the show. We probably will if you write uh, soon before we get that big uh, email mail truck showing up. Almost certainly, right? <laughs> more than we, yeah, exactly. 30 years from now, we'll be still answering uh, stuff. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, that about uh, wraps things up. Oh. There's someone at the door. I'm so is sorry, that, guys. Was that the door? Yeah. I, someone's always trying to interrupt while we're recording. Jeez. Just one more thing. Oh, Lieutenant Columbo's here, uh, who's telling us that we have time for just one more thing. Um, and so this is the portion of the show where each co-host shares a Twitter-length post of something they want to mention from outside of the show. Um, and I'll kick things off with an Apple. No, not a computer. Um, unfortunately, everything's backwards on here, so you may have to take my word for it, but this is uh, called an Envy Apple. Uh, show, uh, if you're watching uh, on video, hold, uh, hold your cell phone or your monitor up to a mirror. It's called an Envy Apple, and uh, why am I sharing an Apple? Because it's the best damn Apple I have ever had. Um, it's crazy. Um, I, I go out and spend the extra 50 cents per Apple and get yourself an Envy Apple and just enjoy. Enjoy the Apple experience. Okay, this is crisp. It's delicious. Uh, Envy Apple. Crisp, wow. Crisp. Tick crisp all the beyond. Box. Tick it all the Apple boxes. It does. It ticks all of them in, in a way that you will not believe. You, you have to try it yourself. You got to try how's it yourself the, to believe it. How's the, uh, how's the stem length and Apple butthole look on those apples? Well, here you can look for yourself. I, <laughs> I don't know what you're looking for as far oh, as that, no, the context no. of that, but uh, you're really edging me for that apple butthole. Come on, man, give yeah. me the apple butthole. And uh, yeah, <laughs> no, he's not going to show it. Explicit. He's not going to show it. We'll get a we'll get a we'll oh, get a we'll get a strike I'm against sorry. it. Yeah, that was the mouth. I guess if you're going to be that's a good that's a good butthole. Yeah, there we that's go. A good one. All right, little apple porn for you. Some food porn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, I've shared my Apple. Um, next week, I might share my Mac Pro because that's also an Apple. But uh, this week, uh, Kat, what have you got for us on Just One More Thing? 
Well, Ben, I just want to uh, say I appreciate the the paid advertisement for that for that Apple ad that you had. Um, yeah, when are we going to get paid. our uh, share, our dividends of that? First envy? you get the apples, oh, yeah. then you get no, the you money, the then you get the women. As I keep all the proceeds from. <laughs> um. So my just one more thing. Uh. So real quickly, I did get my second vaccination. So there's that. Ooh, that yay! So fully, fully vaccinated. Did it make um, you sick? Today, the second so, shot. Oh, this is uh, today. So today. So I, yeah. So I'm. I will most likely uh, feel sick tomorrow. So, um, just to being healthy right now. Uh, yeah. But, and also, I will be graduating on Friday. So that is my just one more wow. thing oh, to basically wonderful. celebrate myself. Um. So, uh, and I'm also graduating debt free but i also want to say that a hundred percent support student loan forgiveness and that should definitely be passed um nonetheless so yeah please hear it's all about me anyways uh universe or whatever powers that be uh for my sake you know congratulations on both and and being uh debt free to boot is wonderful that's awesome are you considered gen z cat yeah you've learned from the millennials right from our mistakes i'm right in the cusp yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm right on the cusp. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm on the other I, cusp between X millennial. and Z. Or X and millennial. That would oh, be a okay. weird cusp. <laughs> That's a wide cusp. <laughs> That's, You're yeah, a wide cusp, Roger. Yeah. I don't like your cusp. It's too wide. <laughs> no, that congratulations. Right. That's just that's absolutely wonderful. Uh, congratulations to you. And uh, are you are you planning on going to grad school? What's your next uh, What's your next uh, thing that you're doing? It's like the graduate, what everyone has to uh, ask, you know? Yeah, obviously. Um, Grad school, if I do do it, it's not going to be any time soon. I definitely need a break from school. Yeah, yeah, a little burnout. But um, right right now, I've been just applying to uh, internships and jobs that hopefully I'm able to get within the field. And that's kind of the next move, just getting a job. Go get it. Yeah. Which is well, hard hopefully the show pandemic, like helps you get so. in the door. No, don't show them this. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't show them. <laughs> no, no, it could help. That's a quick, I don't, know. don't show them. This. <laughs> yeah, really. Jeez. Don't show them last week's clip where yeah, Pepe curses for ten minutes in a row. <laughs> 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 Too much butthole talk. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of butthole content. So. Yeah, don't show them. <laughs> show them a clip. Definitely uh, do a highlight reel. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Video resume yeah, highlight I'll reel. Have to be working on that. There you go. Exactly. Congrats and enjoy. Look, man, people oh, swear. Well, enjoy okay? the... People have buttholes, just like apples. Every apple's got a butthole. <laughs> now I learned that. Th- that's two things I've learned today. So, you know, I should be paying you guys. <laughs> so, Jim, what do you got for us this week on just one more thing? So first of all, I just want to share that cat. We are vaccinated sisters. Or awesome. I just got mine all today right. too. Gentlemen, Jim Scott. <laughs> Yay! Vaccinated. One of us. One of us. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Google, no, gobble, Google, Google. I, 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 I cheered a little bit on the bus ride there, man. You, you, you know, uh, I never. I never would have thought that I'd be so excited to get a shot. Right. You know, never. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of emotions. I, I, I can understand why people have a lot of emotions about getting vaccinated for sure. Um, but my, uh, just one more thing is, um, a Brene Brown podcast. 
Um, it's called Unlocking Us. And for those of you that don't know, Brene Brown is a uh, research psychologist. <clears throat> and just a quick blurb on, about the podcast by her own description is I've spent over 20 years studying the emotions and experiences that bring meaning and purpose to our lives. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's this. We are hardwired for connection and and connecting requires courage, vulnerability, and conversation. And there's more to that description. One of the episodes that I listened to, and I'm not sure which one because they're not exactly titled, was about loneliness and it changed um it changed my theory about loneliness i always felt like it was if you don't have a happy marriage or a significant other or if you do um if you don't have kind of a circle of friends um that you you know can truly connect with um because i i, I believe you need both but I was just going to say both was better. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of discussion about should your significant other be your be all, you, you know, your confident, your best friend, your this, your that. And and uh, there's a lot of studies that are suggesting that, no, you need both a significant other um, and a circle of friends, but she was talking about through her research and I had listened to this particular podcast months ago. So I'm just giving kind of the cliff notes. Cause that's really all I remember. I want to listen to it again, but I got to find it, but it's, um, that people that have a happy marriage and have a circle of friends, uh, that they can truly connect with can still feel loneliness. So there's a third component. And I think the third component is purpose whether that's purpose in work, purpose in um, hobbies or volunteering, I think you need you need all three. And that was the, the component that I was kind of missing um, in my own personal uh, theory. That's, yeah, so, no, that sounds right. But <clears throat> I need it summed up in a, in a uh, vapid platitude. Uh, podcast please. form? No, just a, a quick yeah. platitude I can post on a, a bumper sticker. <laughs> right. <laughs> And sell. There we go. <laughs> let's uh, let's get let capitalism get it fingers all <laughs> yeah. over this. And put it on a no, motivational well poster no, with that, a that cat hanging from it or some shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I find that all to be all to be very true and valid. Uh, what you said in my own experience. So, well done. Uncovering that. Thank you. Yep. What a bummer. <laughs> Dorothy's here letting us know it's time to say goodbye. Uh, let's oh, well, Dev, Devin ben, and I don't get ben, to ben, one ben. more thing. <laughs> we don't get one more thing. <laughs> we don't get we don't get them. Wait, you guys we all skipped right, you? <laughs> yeah, well, you went Devin from Kevin. Yeah, we've, all, yeah. we've always been we've been talking so much. I just figured you got it in you got yours in there. Uh, yeah, okay. Let's the stars of the shows. You guys don't matter. Strike that. There's really some other people. The let's see. There's Cat and uh, Jim and I, and that's it. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> on on this, post. the day that my movie was chosen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> While it is actually right, time hear, to say goodbye, whatever... let's hear your let's hear your just one more things real quick. Let's hear about whatever stupid thing Devin's going to talk about. Right. Yeah, I, I, tried to, I tried to help. 
You did. I'm, you tried. Uh, you tried your best. Yeah. I'm talking about a uh, television oh, series. That's so today. stupid. <laughs> a Netflix original series called Love, Death, and Robots. Um, controversial uh, in our friend group. I know that some of our, our, oh our listeners, man. some of the people on this podcast don't like this show. I am a huge lover of anthology series. I think the anthology is the superior form of media. Um, I've always, I've, I've loved Twilight Zone since I was like eight years old. I, have, um, I loved Black Mirror when it came out. is one of my favorites. Like, I'm just a huge fan of anthologies. Um and uh yeah i think love death and robots is is the best thing netflix has produced like hands down i think it's i think it's the best netflix original thing and i like a lot of netflix original things and uh for people who don't know basically it is a series of mostly sci-fi short films um most of which are probably clocking under 20 minutes some as short as like eight uh each in a completely different art style, completely different, uh, almost all computer generated, though there are some hand animated and some live action even uh, films in there. Um, And they're all really interesting. A lot of them are uh, like very sci-fi inspired. Like I said, Uh, love death and robots, robots being involved quite a bit. Um, But there are some that are just pure comedy. There's like a whole uh, one about um, like, alternate histories where like different things happened to hitler like if, if hitler had died when he was a kid and if if he would died in different ways it's it's really comical and there's another one that's all about like hunting a vampire and uh yes yeah, so some like fantasy some sci-fi um and the cool thing about them is like if one of them in particular doesn't like rub you the right way it's it's like eight minutes long and then there's another one that's probably going to be cool um the first season is 18 episodes long, so there's a ton to devour. Uh, the second season was just released about a week ago. I was slightly disappointed by the second season because it was shorter, only eight episodes, and because I feel like the uh, animation styles were a little repetitive. There wasn't as much variety. I think every ep- all 18 episodes of the original series looked different. Like None of them seemed to be the same style at all. In the second season, I think like three or four of them were kind of just the like, fully realistic cg style which like i mean looks great there's nothing wrong with it but it, it does didn't have yeah. as much of a, that variety um it's i mean usually miss, it looks great <laughs> to me as someone who studied animation and like really watches for the little details man you have to be your game has to be on point with the uh the 3d animation it really has to be there otherwise it stands out like a sticks out like a sore thumb if it's not working whereas 2d you can be a little more stylized and it's more forgiving i think yeah um i think in particular my standout pick for season two is drowned uh, the drowned giant is really cool um it's one of the rare ones that kind of has a message to it which another thing that i kind of like about it is like a lot of them are kind of simple and just like funny or like interesting or like kind of spooky but none of them really have like they're trying not to say much because they're short they're just like little bite-sized things they're not like there's no major message but I think the Drowned Giant is one of the few that kind of feels poetic and kind of has like a, a very recognizable message. Um, so yeah, I think that was my, my standout for and season they're two. And they're but, not uh, long. Yeah. I think if I, I watch season one and I think that yeah. they're like each, what, like 10, 15 minutes or something like that. Yeah, I think the longest in season one is like 22 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, most, yeah. They're short anthologies. They're, they're, it's, it's worth a watch, I think. And they are kind of, some are better than others and some, are, some I really liked and uh, others were sort of more forgettable. But I'll definitely check out the Drowned Giant in season yeah. two. So Pepe, you get the final yeah. word on just one more thing, and I have to get one of those turn order things gonna... we use in, in uh, Roll Twenty. 
If you want to see if you want to see boobs animated in different styles in quick succession, Love, Death, and Robots is where it's at. <laughs> season two also had markedly less breasts. I will admit there were Why less watch? breasts in season Why? two. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Um, <laughs> like KFC, the breasts make it good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a thigh man. Myself. I'm, a, I'm a thigh man myself. I'm extra crispy. I don't know. If my, I don't. Yeah, I like my breasts. I like my breasts like I like my chicken. <laughs> extra crispy. Oh my gosh, Pepe! <laughs> Did you have an energy drink before this podcast? <laughs> oh, the Sandro No, no. <laughs> Jeez! All right, all right. Mm. Dorothy's getting impatient here, so unfortunately, it's okay. Time okay. To say okay. Goodbye. Um. Yeah. Oh, you have your thing. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'll it. say. Just... <laughs> all right. I'm gonna do it a ben, third time. God. Third time's the charm. Ben, you know we're recording a podcast. Right I thought now, it was right? KFC. You've done this before. KFC. Yeah, a couple times. <laughs> a couple times now. At least twice in in memory. Jeez. All right. I'll be quick. Um. Stanford no, has a YouTube. <laughs> None of us Stanford, ha- Stanford has a YouTube channel on which they have posted a um, series of lectures by a, a man, uh, Robert Sapolsky, who um, is giving. It's his like 102 lecture on human behavioral biology. Um, it's uh, they're each about an hour and a half. They're a lecture by a. a a biologist at Stanford, and it's super interesting. Um, so if you go onto YouTube and just look up uh, look up Stanford's YouTube channel and look up human introduction to human behavioral biology, you'll find the playlist of it. Super interesting. Even if you're not that interested in the topic per se, he talks a lot about uh, really cool and interesting things that animals do. <laughs> Does he do um, it in like about... kind of layman's terms, or is it more? technical yeah uh, yeah i mean it's like it's it's basically a 101 course that's cool. um and that's yeah. why they've yeah um so yeah and so he'll yeah yeah so he'll talk about something and then he'll be like as an example such and such animal does this in this way and it's just like oh shit animals do all sorts of weird stuff yeah so that's my one more thing go go, and just, go look just at just it. again what <laughs> how do you find it you go on youtube and you'd search yeah yeah so on youtube um, this is Stanford's YouTube channel. They have their own YouTube channel. And you um, look up, I know, right? Uh, introduction to Human Behavioral Biology. He's got a big bushy is. beard. Well, yeah. he better, or I'll, I'll be disappointed. I know, right? He won't fit the uh, icon of the science professor. I know. He's a really good lecturer, too, um, which is probably why he has a job at Stanford. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. You have to be kind of good to maybe teach at Stanford, yeah. you think. You also, even though it's on YouTube, I've been listening to it as if it were a podcast, basically, so you don't need to, like, sit there and watch it. So, oh, Okay, cool. So you can listen in. That's yeah. nice. Cool. Thank you for that. I'm glad that... <laughs> okay, so third time's the charm. Uh, it's time to say our goodbyes. Uh, we'll start with you, Kat. I'm Kat Ramirez. It's been real. Catch me on Instagram at Kat Ramirez with two Zs. See y'all next time. It has been real. And Mr. Devin Schwartz. Uh, my name is Devin Schwartz. You can find me at Devin Schwartz one on Twitter and uh, game over, man. Game over. Incendiary James Pepe. What have you got for us? Uh, yeah, I've been James. Pepe. And just for the record, Devin's never seen that 
fucking movie. He doesn't even know. I'm a sham. He's a sham. He you shouldn't be allowed to, to be say kidding it. me. I have not seen a single <laughs> seen film in the franchise. Uh, wow. Well, that's, what? That's got to be forthcoming. from some. Somebody has to submit. We're all going to submit Alien now. Watch. This is this is why he thinks 10 Cloverfield Lane is like such a good sci-fi movie, because he hasn't <laughs> fucking seen Alien. Yeah, you may have a point. Um, yeah, Aliens just got to be number one on many, many, many people's <laughs> list that I highly respect as uh, moviegoers, movie watchers. So, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, and uh, Gentleman Jim Scott, it's a pleasure to have you as usual. Thank you for that uh, nice bow to tie up the episode earlier. Thank you, my friend. And yeah, I am Jim Scott, and farewell, my friends, and take care. Yeah, please do. Uh, and uh, as always, this has been I'll Look at Yours if you look at mine, and now that you've looked at ours, we hope to look at yours soon. If you enjoy the show, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, give us a five-star review, dot your I's, cross your T's, sign here, initial here, and don't forget to tell your friends. Be sure to watch Under the Skin for next week's show. Uh, it came out in 2013 and is now streaming on Canopy. Until next time, lookers, keep on looking. Uh.